All right, well, good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, we are starting a new Discipleship Hour class today, and hopefully you had an opportunity to grab a handout. And uh, that handout will have some handles of where you can write things if you'd like. And if not, you can just listen and follow along as well. Um, but uh, we're starting a new class entitled Finishing Well, and it's based on a book uh, by J.R. He also wrote this little book entitled Finishing Our Course with Joy, and the subtitle is Guidance from God for Engaging with Our Aging, which even rhymes. Kind of cool, huh? So uh, nice little booklet. I meant to bring it with me so you could see, but it's only about this thick. But that'll be kind of the, the baseline for the class is just some of the insights he has and uh, I'll be reading quotes from him as well as he looked back on his life and thought about um, how to age well. And then we'll also be bringing other materials into the class. We're not sure how many weeks this is going to go. And so some of the reason for that is there are a ton of things we could cover. Uh, so we're thinking somewhere between six and ten weeks. Um, eight's probably the magic number, maybe seven if we're feeling really spiritual. Um, Anyone awake? Okay, good. But uh, part of that, too, is if you have questions or input about things that would be helpful to have covered in this class, um, there's a, a website link that went out in the email, or there's a QR code on the back, and it's just a paragraph form, and it comes into us, and Ryan and I both get notified when submissions come in. A few have come in already. They're already very helpful, and uh, that way we can both see them and incorporate those as we're teaching through these things. Um, so finishing our course with joy is the main book, and then um, we'll be working other things in. One of the things that I'll be using today is um, the book by David Gibson, Living Life Backward, which um, during 2020, uh, a bunch of us went through that book together over Zoom, and um, boy, rereading some of it these past few weeks, um, it's, it's such a helpful resource. So uh, just mentioning those things as we get started. Well, why don't I pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into thinking about this topic of finishing well. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people. We thank you for giving us your word and how it meets us in every season of life, how it is good for making us wise, how it tells us of your grace in every situation we find ourselves in, we have on this earth. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we can begin uh, by talking about uh, this week will be We Grow Old. Um, <laughs> Uh, something that I, I don't think any of us would really argue with, um, kind of why do a class on aging. Um, there, there are a bunch of reasons. One is we are all growing, is all of us are in the process of aging, and stewarding our lives well is some, um, something more like catastrophic happens. Many of us will grow old. Um, when J.I. Packer wrote this, which was back in, I think, 2008 or something like that, um, old into younger olds, which is 65 to 75, medium olds, which is 75 to 85, and oldest olds, which is 85 and above. Uh, and, and as you read about this in the literature, there's um, 
just kind of typically a marked categorical difference when one reaches like 65 and beyond as far as Heller rates. And there's, there's all kinds of other stuff that could be said. But J.R. Packer was writing this uh, himself as an oldest old. He was um, over 85 years old when he was writing this. And one of the things I should just say uh, about the beginning of his book is he acknowledges that um, be able to benefit from the information in this book because as aging has continued, their mental faculties, that's a difficult aspect um, of the whole topic. But his goal in writing the base still have their faculties more or less intact who recognize that, as it is often and truly said, aging is not for wimps, and who want to learn in a straightforward way how we may continue living to God's glory as we get older. So that's why he was uh, writing this and will we'll benefit uh, from it. So why this class? Many of us will grow old. And also, it is good to talk about aging now, um, and it always happens before we realize it. I have uh, yet to talk to someone who said, um, this didn't happen fast. <laughs> and there's a quote by Terry Pratchett that says, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> I just, I think that's a, a beautiful quote. Um, and so the call of scripture, as we'll see, is wherever we are in the seasonality of life and whatever time we have remaining, there's this call to look ahead and to consider what it means to live for God's glory um, in light of the coming end. Uh, and that's where the living life backward idea even comes from. And then the, the final reason uh, of, of why to study this and, and to study it now is as we think about the seasonality of uh, growing older uh, and as we consider the complexities of it, it helps us better love people. Um, it helps us better love our family members who may be ahead of us in the journey of life. It helps us better love our church family as one of the most beautiful things about our church is that it's made up of all ages. And part of what God calls us to is seeking, how can I love the people around me in the season of life that they're in? How can I love them well in that? Uh, and it also helps us love our neighbors. Um, this is something that everyone encounters in one way or another. And the more we've thought about it and know how to engage it well, the more we can come alongside, especially people who don't know the Lord, and uh, give them perspective and love and care in the midst of it. So those are a few reasons why, and um, we could go on and on. But let's get into some of the content uh, of this. And you'll notice this in your handout. I think it's on the first page there. And uh, just so you know, if you get concerned about pacing, um, page two is where we'll spend most of our time. And then page three and page four move along a, a little bit more quickly, just in case you get freaked out that I'm not moving along. Uh, does anyone get freaked out by that? Is that scary? Okay, cool. Thanks, Hank. Amen. This guy has no idea how to pace the class. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Um, images of aging. One of the things that I love so much about Scripture 
and and it, it makes so much sense when we think about it, but we might lose sight of it, is the God who made us has also spoken to us, and he's the one who understands us completely. And so as we come to his word, it's, it just amazes us over and over again how thoroughly he understands our situation. And uh, scripture just surprises us that way. And not only how it gives us facts about aging or death or life, but also it gives us realistic images um, that capture our imagination and help us understand the aging process. It helps us see how God views aging and what God is still doing in and through it. And so the first image um, that I want us to consider is that of decline. Decline. Um, Ecclesiastes 12, I think, is one of the most moving pictures of aging in Scripture. And I'm going to put it up here on the screen, but you're welcome to turn there too. I didn't look at where it is in the Pew Bible, but we're going to spend some time in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 8. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes begins with a poem about how God has orchestrated all things. It closes with this picture of kind of the undoing of all things, especially in the process of aging. Aging in scripture and in this passage is pictured as an unmaking. Just as God made every person, so at the end, because of the curse, the fall, um, in old age and in death, there's a sense in which a person is being unmade. Um, But then that gives such hope for the resurrection, which is the redemption of um, our personhood, both body and soul. And so um, this picture here is from Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 8. And what what we'll do is just kind of walk through it and just unpack what it's showing us about the aging process. And as I do, you may feel this already in your bones. Uh, You may think of people you love, how you've seen this. You may think of others in our church um, who are going through this, and I just think it, it captures it so well. He says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years um, draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So we'll just look at verse 2 for a moment there. Do you see the, you think of how Genesis 1 begins? and light is coming forth, and it's separated from the darkness. Um, Here we see how extensively the light of life begins to dim. And you see sun and light and moon and stars all growing darker as one grows older. Uh, Joy and being alive can tend to fade. And then it says, and the clouds return after the rain. Uh, That's this idea that troubles recur as life goes on. And Derek Kidner, who's an Old Testament commentator, um, says that this is a scene that brings home to us the general desolations of old age. And hear what he says. Not only may the lights of the faculties and the senses begin to fade, but so too the warm glow of old friends, familiar customs, and long-held hopes. Age steals each away. All of this will come at a stage when there is no longer the resilience of youth or the prospect of recovery to offset it. In one's early years, in the greater part of life, troubles, but instead it will kill. That's what the preacher's capturing there, is that, that different seasonality that one enters into. And so the preacher goes from this bent 
and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim. He's taking that image and he's overlaying it on our bodies and using these pictures to be a strong, don't they? And um, those who look through the windows are dimmed, our eyes growing dimmer uh, as they look out upon the scene of life going on. Low, when chewing itself becomes an effort, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, um, light sleep, early waking, um, small, sudden noises can be upsetting. And then it says, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Music, which once brought delight, can even become uh, a bore. And so just pictures of things uh, people experience as they age. Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. You go back to the beginning and just kind of take it phase by phase. They are afraid of what is high. Um, Boy, when you you watch little kids, are they you're trying to teach them to be afraid of what is high, right? Like the higher you go, the more dangerous it is. As we become older, uh, any level of height has the potentiality of fall, even just standing itself. Balance goes, dizziness comes, terrors are in the way. Uh, one frequently feels increasingly frightened. Uh, as one gets older, of things that were once normal and expected now can feel overwhelming. The almond tree blossoms. It's another way of saying your hair turns white. (laughs) Uh, Blossoming almond trees. The grasshopper drags itself along. Um, You can picture as a grasshopper's aging and instead of just kind of bouncing along like it once did, um, one's walking grows erratic and unsteady. And then it says, and desire fails. Um, There's a tendency for emotional numbness to set in. There often isn't much appetite left for anything. And um, one of the people I was reading said, with the failing body comes failing desire. Um, The older person is back in the corner after lunch snoozing again. And you just see that overall um, decline. And then the preacher uh, pictures life as light in a lamp and water in a pitcher. So he moves from that house imagery to talk then about life itself. He says, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. What he's doing here in these images, the preacher is picturing light that's provided by this um, precious golden lamp that's hanging by a silver thread. That's the imagery that's going on there um, of light and water itself. And the time will come when the vessel falls to the ground and what it carries will ebb away. The body will break and life will be over. And so he concludes this section by saying, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, All is vanity. Now that word vanity, it's all throughout Ecclesiastes. It carries several nuances of meaning um, throughout the book, but fleetingness is a major component of what he's talking about here. And I think it's a really fitting end to this. You could translate it this way, the merest of breaths, the merest of breaths, everything is a breath. Uh, And that's what this picture 
reminds us of. Um, I'll read one more thing and then we'll, we'll um, move on from this imagery. But David Gibson in his book summarizes this section saying this, One day you will come undone. God's curse of creation in response to the fall means time will see you unmade. Before that day comes, how then will you live? That's, that's one of the most amazing things about Scripture is this ability to describe so perfectly this experience that comes upon us. But it does so for the purpose not of um, morbid despair, but to raise the question, if you are hearing this, you are alive. And how are you using that life now before these times of darkness come or even as the dim light still remains? Uh, and that, that's part of the beauty of contemplating these things uh, as we think through Scripture's call. So, that was kind of discouraging, huh? <laughs> I guess the word decline should have tipped me off that like this one could feel like we're <laughs> going on a decline in a class. Ripeness has some more happy connotations to it, so let me just uh, tell you that. But how's everybody doing? Are we okay? All right. Uh, it's it's good to look at, at the realism of, of what Scripture says. But as we as we consider this um, this next image, so uh, that's the beauty of Scripture too, layer upon layer of a multifaceted experience. And part of that experience we stare in the face, especially through the lens of the fall, uh, is this this dim and gloomy understanding of decline. But Decline isn't all that it is. And so ripeness is another way that Scripture speaks of aging. Now, when we think of ripeness, what does that mean? Um, Think about fruit or um, what's the other word for, like, vegetables. Yeah, those are the the non-sweet growing things that you eat. Um, (laughs) The ones, anyhow, okay. Uh, Ripeness. Ripeness, the word carries this very positive meaning of maturity, right? When you think of the ripeness of fruit, it's, it's brought something to maturity that brings with it a lot of benefit. We know the difference, Packer says, between ripe fruit and unripe fruit. Unripe fruit is sharp. It's acidic. It's hard. It's without much flavor. And then he says it sets your teeth on edge. You know, you bite into a non-ripe um, piece of fruit, and it does something strange to your teeth. In contrast to that, right, ripeness is relatively soft and sweet and juicy, mellow, flavorful, leaving a pleasant aftertaste in the mouth. Interesting to think of that applying to humans as we age, right? Um, He says, between human beings in and beyond middle age, a comparable difference starts to appear. Some grow old gracefully, um, meaning fully in the grip of God, and others do not. They have not ripened, and they are still very sharp and hard and bitter. Uh, And I think that's interesting to think about. Am I ripening with old age? And um, we see this in Scripture in Psalm 92, verses um, 12 to 15. Psalm 92 12 to 15. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Both of these are really tall, 
striking trees, right? When you look at how tall a palm tree grows, it's amazing. When you consider a cedar in Lebanon, you you can kind of think of the sequoias (laughs) that we see in Northern California. It's just amazing. And it's saying the righteous flourish like this. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. And then notice what it says. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Isn't that beautiful? And and haven't you seen that? Um, Someone who's growing old in the Lord and is ripening, and you see this fruit that just continues to come. Even though strength often fades, even though the amount of things they're doing often decreases, fruit abounds, and there's this fullness of sap and green, even in the midst of outwardly wasting away. Um, And so Packer says that the Bible's view is that aging under God and by grace will bring wisdom that is an enlarged capacity for discerning, choosing, and encouraging. If you're wondering, what what could I do in my old age? What does... um, What does it look like to grow wiser and to ripen? These words here make so much sense. Discerning, choosing, and then what's often overlooked, encouraging. We'll talk about that a bit more as we go. So spiritual ripeness can continue to increase as one gets older. And the way the, with the Bible giving us this image, what it says then, like in our society so often, being older is seen as, You've had your time, you're kind of done. And instead, Scripture um, portrays it as the culmination time of wisdom, of godliness, of virtue that's coming forth in a ripening way that hadn't been experienced before, even though one is at a diminished capacity. And so another place that we see this, because I think this image is so helpful for us to keep in mind, is in Psalm 71. So Psalm 71, verse 5 says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Now notice, the trajectory Scripture invites us into is that the ripening of old age is something that starts from a trajectory that started in youth. That's the consistent call, is wherever you may be, orient yourself this way, and it leads to this ripening. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not, What a great description, when my strength is spent. There's the diminished capacity there, right? And yet this, am I still near to you, Lord? Am I still useful? Like, like what are you doing? Um, Verse 14, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. This opportunity for continued praise, even in the midst of decline. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. I just want to open it up for a moment. Um, What do you see encouraging about 
what's there in Psalm 71 as we think about ripening. Hey, thanks, Michael. Do you notice anything there um, of what our orientation can be, of things we can be looking forward, of, of ways I could... Craig, you just asked five questions. What is this passage showing us uh, is something God is seeking to do through us as we age? Or anything else you notice? Yeah, Kevin, just one sec. The desire to bless generations yet to come. Yeah, yep. Uh, that's an amazing thing, right? That is when we think of ripening and say, what fruit is that? Obviously, it's the fruit of the Spirit, but God is using that, that the generation to come has the testimony from our lives of God's righteousness and good deeds that are too great to count. Um, and so that, that gives major purpose, doesn't it? Um, anyone else? Anything as you, as you think about this image of ripeness? And what what God's seeking to do, um, what that reminds us of. Hank. Uh, Very simple. He wants us to continue serving as long as we have strength. Yeah. Yeah. There's still this call to serve, to proclaim. Uh, There's such a usefulness and a purposefulness uh, that's still there for us. Um, even when the impulses of the day, especially in a society that doesn't value age as much as maybe other cultures do, um, it kind of says you've, you've had your time. God says, I have such a key role for you to play uh, in this culmination season. Anything else? Patty. Well, I was just really looking at that one verse um, where it says, "My mouth will tell about your righteousness and your salvation all day long." Um, all, you know, all the different things. So, those who are older have seen oh, many more things yeah. than those who are younger. Yeah. And can, it's not just about look at all the things he did in my life. It's look at all the things he did over here and over here and over here. And I wish, I was just thinking about the time of COVID. Mm-hmm. If we had had someone <laughs> who had been through that mm-hmm. a long time ago to come and say, don't worry, the Lord is faithful, it would have been so much easier, right? Uh-huh. But um, it's that. It's like you can say, he's there, he's been there. We've seen that and take courage. Yeah. The, that's something that the ripeness of a life lived for the glory of God brings to bear that you don't have when you're young. We can know these things intellectually. God is faithful. He'll bring us through this season. But from the passenger seat, it's freak out feeling, right? We've never been through this before, you know? And then you have someone who's, nope, we've seen the Lord provide. I've seen him do this. I've seen the culture change these ways. And the Lord continues to help the church and give us wisdom of how to respond and all these kinds of things. And it's so orienting um, to those of us who are younger uh, when we um, are blessed by that ripeness of having seen these things. But as we say that, well, it, it's it's right here. Well, the reality is, the sad reality to me is, not all people ripen with age. 
Um, it takes a conscious choice and sowing toward this kind of life. It does not happen naturally. Um, it actually, we unripen with age apart from God's work in us. And we become bitter, disgruntled, more fearful, less aware of blessing. But it's saying God can work in such a way that this beautiful ripeness comes forth. Packer says, ripeness increasingly displays a well-developed understanding with a well-formed character. Understanding from years of studying God's word and from seeing God's ways, but then that has to be accompanied by something else, right? Just knowing those things doesn't do it in and of itself. The character that's firm, resilient, unyielding, with an unfailing sense of proportion and abundant resources for what? For upholding and mentoring others. And and that's what we see in this um, psalm is, let me tell you what God has done. Let me show you. I have been noticing my whole life the countless ways of the goodness of God. But we have to cultivate the noticing of those things, right? So hopefully that's a, a helpful imagery of we can ripen with old age. And that's something God, um, by the Spirit, is seeking to do in us. And then uh, the third one uh, is the image of the last lap, the last lap. And we could look at several passages for this, but let me just read one that may be familiar to you. Paul in Second Timothy, you know, probably his last letter that he's writing, um, he says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering." This is Second Timothy four six through eight. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul envisions life as this race that he is running, this this marathon-type race. Um, And he's coming to the end and he's saying, I've finished it. I'm in my last lap here. I can see the finish line. Um, And then he thinks of the reward that is coming to him that the Lord Jesus will present to him, which is just amazing to think of. But it's not only to him, and this is what orients us to what should our attention be focused on, also to all who have loved his appearing, who think of the appearing of Jesus and being present with him, that that stirs up affection and love in a person's heart. Um, That's the orientation for running the race is part of what he's saying. Um, Packer says this, runners in a distance race like jockeys in a horse race always try to keep something in reserve for a final sprint. If someone's running well, they keep something in the tank for that last lap, right? And Packer says, my contention is going to be that so far as our bodily health allows, we should, be, we should aim to be found running the last lap of the race of our Christian life, as we would say, flat out. The final sprint, so I urge, should be a sprint indeed. That's what Packer wants us to think about, is not just can we make it across that finish line? But what would it mean to be sprinting as far as bodily health allows? And that's what uh, scripture holds out for us. 
And so that's really what the rest of the class is going to be unpacking, is what does it look like to run that last lap well, and how do we condition our, ourselves um, so we're ready to do that. So um, we've looked at some images of aging, and then um, we could talk through just three principles for finishing well that we'll look at rather quickly, and then um, bring some things to a conclusion. So principles for finishing well. Uh, these are three things that Packer says in chapter one. Um, and, and one thing I just want to say by way of introduction with these is he says these are things that we may all know, but they are especially things that tend to fall by the wayside as we age. And that's why he finds it so helpful to be reminded of them. As he looks back over his process and over his friends, he thinks these things are, are at the core the first one is live for God one day at a time. One day at a time. Um, Psalm 90 verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And with that, it just carries considering each day that we would grow wise and Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we'd live it in a worshipful way. And what, what Packer says in regards to aging is that it's especially important to plan for each day's business in advance with glorifying God as your goal. And there can be a tendency as you get older for one day to just blend into the next and that intentionality that was maybe once demanded in earlier phases of life, that can feel less necessary. And so he says that he finds it especially helpful uh, as you get older to still have that intentionality, even though your list may be far smaller of the things that you plan to do the next day. Um, so he says, have some plans for each day, review them at the end of the day, and make plans for the next day. Because it's reminding you of the purpose that God has for you day in and day out, as long as you have days. And um, he says, that's a helpful way to do it. So live for God one day at a time. Second, live in the present moment. Live in the present moment. And he describes this as um, practicing God's presence, and in particular, with the lens through Christ's promised presence. Um, sweetly meditating upon the fact that Jesus said to us that he will be with us to the end of the age. And so what does it mean um, with each day that we have that Christ is present with us and seeing each present moment through the lens of Christ with you and Christ seeking to work through you by the Spirit. And here's, here's the um, caution that he brings to us as we grow older, um, which I think is interesting. Instead of living in the present moment, he says what often happens is um, we shift into daydreaming and the indulgence of nostalgia. Instead of seeing what's presently before us, we dream about things that once were and especially become nostalgic about kind of golden age ideas of how life was. And so this is what he says, dreaming and indulgence of nostalgia are unhappy habits, making for unrealism and discontent. So he's not saying don't remember fondly the good times of life. That's not it at all. But there's a way in which we remember the past that's actually unrealistic 
and that, uh, that then sows discontent in the moment. And he says um, we should especially be on guard against that. He calls these bad habits, and he says elderly retirees are especially prone to and need to seek to break these habits in a self-disciplined way. So I found that uh, insightful. And so living in the present moment, part of that is giving thanks for things in the present as well as in the past without indulging in only nostalgia or an unrealistic portrayal of what once was. And then uh, the third thing that he mentions is live ready to go when Christ comes for you. He reminds us of those words in John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, or if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's this amazing promise of Christ coming to personally take us to be with him um, where he is. And um, Packer says this, the experience of dying varies from one to another. Some of us will be conscious and relatively alert right up to the moment of our going. Some will sink into unconsciousness as our bodies progressively close down. Some will die in a coma or while asleep or in a sudden accident or attack on our person or from heart stoppage, and we cannot foresee how it will be for us. So the way of wisdom is to be ready for whatever comes, whenever it comes. It's a good thing to stop and think about now and then, right? We don't know how our lives will end, if that will be a long, slow process or a surprisingly surprising one. Um, And so this involves some practical things like making a will, thinking through funeral directions, thinking through what happens with your property. These are wise things for us to do as we consider our end. But where Packer goes is he says, first and foremost, it involves direct, sober dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Just knowing every day that you are right before him because you are trusting in him and him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the promise that he will take you to be where he is one day. And this intimacy with our Savior and this love for the Lord Jesus, this is something that can be cultivated no matter what age you are. (laughs) This is something we can be cultivating every day. Um, a, A British professor of theology described it to Packer this way, the world to which believers will go is an unknown country with a well-known inhabitant. There's so much about the new heavens and the new earth that we don't know about. Lots of continuity, uh, for sure, and that's comforting. But to think of how those things actually work out, it just blows my mind. Um, And no matter who we are and how much we've studied theology and how much we've thought about this, there's going to be a ton of unknown about what awaits us, right? But there can be a well-known inhabitant. We can all individually know the Lord Jesus more and more. And what he says can happen is instead of um, the thought of being with uh, Jesus and that transition, instead of that being alarming, it can become alluring 
because we're focused on what it will mean to actually be in Christ's presence. Um, I'm not sure how much experience you've had with people who are dying, um, but this is something that I've definitely seen hold true. There's so much about death that is unknown and uncertain and fearful. And um, talking to other believers in particular, a question that many of us have is, how will I be in those moments where death is coming? Um, and, And there's room for cries of fear. There's cries of pain. But you can see it in the lives Sorry, talking about death, that's always nice, easy way to start the day. Sorry. <clears throat> While the experience of dying can have all these complexities and difficulties that I don't know how we can thoroughly prepare for, you, see it, you can see it in the lives of believers that the thing that can comfort regardless of those other responses is knowing that Jesus is coming for them and they will see him. And you see the comfort that that brings, even in the midst of all those other things. Um, And so um, Packer describes that as the assurance of Jesus' presence and that he is your courier, the one who will bring you across the Jordan into the promised land. And if you know the one who's taking you there, um, it can really help you in that final transition and journey. So... We'll be talking more about that as we go. So maybe we'll put tissues in the pews for this class. Uh, we'll, we'll need to talk about that, at least up here. So anyhow. <clears throat> All right. Let's talk about the wrong way to face aging just for a moment. This, this could probably be a lot of things. Um, but here's what Packer says, and I'll just read it. If you can hang with me reading just a, a paragraph, and then we'll, we'll end with some um, positive things in the conclusion about what we can do now. Um, here's the wrong way. He says, but now we must face the fact that all forms of this ideal ripeness and increased focus in life in our old age, all these things we've talked about, they stand in direct contrast to the advice for old age that our secular Western world currently gives. So think for a moment of what advice is given to people who are in older seasons of life. What's being told to them? He summarizes it this way. Retirees are admonished both explicitly and implicitly in terms that boil down to this. Relax slow down, take it easy, amuse yourself, do only what you enjoy. Now, not that slowing down and understanding our limitations is wrong, but it's when it it gets paired with this amuse yourself and you've lived and now's your time to enjoy. He says this, it prescribes idleness, self-indulgence, and irresponsibility as the goal of one's declining years. Those aren't good words, right? Idleness is different than restfulness. Um, Idleness is different than understanding your creaturely limitations. Self-indulgence is different than delighting in the gifts of God. And irresponsibility is different than understanding you have less responsibilities than you once did. Um, This, over time, he says, will generate a burdensome sense 
that one's life is no longer significant, but has become quite simply useless. He diagnoses it so well that all those things can sound so good to us, but what do they leave you with at the end? A very purposeless, self-focused, empty way of life. And what scripture holds out is something different, something that so realistically leans into the purpose that God has for you, even in this very different season. So that's what he says about the wrong way. Uh, In conclusion, I I just want to bring it to two things, two things that we can uh, think about as we um, consider these things. And the beauty of this is it applies to whatever phase of life we find ourselves in, right? The first is what the preacher of Ecclesiastes holds out again and again, and what he holds out as we begin chapter 12. Um, Remember your creator. Living a life cultivating of remembering your creator. Um, The word before happens three times in that uh, Ecclesiastes 12 passage. Um, Before the finality of death, which is coming to us all. There's this call to live mindful of our creator. Um, David Gibson says, we must remember who God is, who we are, and how we should live before the curtain comes down and the life we have been given by God is taken from us again by him. Um, The call to remember our creator while we are young is a command to recall how the world was meant to be and to seek to live in light of that before the reality of how the world actually now is catches up with us and sweeps us along in the inevitable descent into old age. Um, The fallenness of things as they are has not taken away all the good and the beauty in this life that's a gift from God. And coming to live each day aware of the fact that I've been created by a God who loves me, who sent his son for me, who now welcomes me and is bringing me to himself and has endowed the world with goodness and beauty and truth that I can see and savor and grow in and enjoy and thank him for. All of that are ways of remembering our creator and cultivating that life that leads toward ripeness. And so we think of remembering our creator, and a lot of that is by considering the gifts that are around us that we receive with thanksgiving. But then as believers, there's a redemptive aspect to it as well. And, and that's the second thing, is remembering God's grace. If, if you're to ask, like, how do I grow into ripeness? How do I steward this life I've been given well? I think we could really boil it down to a life that's constantly giving thanks for the grace of God. And if we are sowing to that, then the fruit of all that we've been talking about are things that will be evident. I came across this uh, story about John Stott. How many of you know who John Stott is? Uh, Anglican pastor. um, uh, He was single his whole life. He's with the Lord now. Um, Just faithful life. Lots of um, scholarly works, but also such a a great pastor's heart and um, so encouraging in in what he wrote. And so in his two-volume biography, uh, Timothy Dudley Smith uh, records the words of one of Stott's study assistants, 
So John Stott had these kind of like interns who would uh, help him out during the day. And he recalls this story. Every afternoon at 4.30 p.m., I bring Uncle John a cup of coffee. I love that, being called Uncle John. That's kind of fun. Okay. Uh, I bring him a cup of coffee. As soon as I set the cup on his desk, he almost always says somewhat playfully, I'm not worthy, usually without moving his bowed head from his papers. So he's looking down, cup of coffee comes, I'm not worthy. One afternoon last week, I felt that it was particularly silly for him to equate worthiness with a cup of coffee. When he said, I'm not worthy, I responded, sure you are. After a few moments, he said, you haven't got your theology of grace right. And I said back, it's only a cup of coffee, Uncle John. And as I went into his kitchen and began putting things away, I heard him mutter, still with his head bowed to his papers, it's just the thin edge, the thin end of the wedge. It's just the thin end of the wedge. You see that picture? A wedge has the thin end, but expands to something so much bigger. And John Stott is saying, when I have this cup of coffee at 4.30, I see it as just the thin edge of the grace of God that is just so much bigger. This is just one of the things that points me again and again to his grace. David Gibson says, when we are not grateful for the little things, it's only a very short step to no longer being grateful for anything. When we do not enjoy and savor and love and laugh and delight in the little things, then we are heading toward losing our delight in anything. And so I find that imagery of the small end of the wedge, uh, to be a really helpful way to consider the gifts that are before us uh, every day. And so um, hopefully that's encouraging as we consider uh, some of these things. As I said, Ryan and I are still working on what all we'll cover. Um, Packer's book is a nice short little book that's just an edifying read. Um, And so there's um, at the bottom there a QR code you can send us questions, things to think about. Uh, There are all kinds of topics related to this that um, we're considering covering. But Why don't I close us in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and how it confronts us with a reality that sees things so clearly. Uh, Help us today as we've considered things that can be hard for us to consider, the the numberedness of our days, the inevitable decline that comes as a result of sin. We know that this breaks your heart and grieves you, and it does for us as well as we think about it in our own bodies and as we think about it in the lives of those whom we love. But we pray that Scripture's invitation to us would be sweet and welcoming, that today we would be more mindful that we stand and sit here today as those who have been created by a good God who loves us and who is making all things right, and that we would see these evidences of your grace and give thanks for them. That even today as we worship and we sing songs and we hear prayers and you speak to us through your word, that we would see this for the wondrous thing that it is, that you have broken into this fallen world and called us to yourself that you will make all things right and bring us home. 
And none of it is because we have done anything. And so we give you thanks for your grace in our lives. And we pray that you would make us people who are more and more thankful each day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.